0: You know, that's what this life is all about, transformation. When you first came to Jesus, you gave your heart to Him. He recreated your spirit. You became a born-again, blood-washed child of God. From that point on, it's up to us to dedicate our bodies and surrender it to His will, and then also to renew our minds according to the Word so that we can be transformed. God wants us to be transformed from glory to glory. That takes time. It takes the rest of your life as you live upon the earth. We're talking about the importance of God's Word this morning. This is lesson number two, the importance of God's Word. And just a quick review. Look at Isaiah chapter 66 verses 1 and 2. This is from the NIV, New International Version. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. Can you get better than that? Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Long legs. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord? These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and who tremble, tremble at my word. Now, when you put that in context, and you understand this, Solomon's temple, we said last week, cost anywhere from $150 billion dollars to build up to a trillion some say that's a pretty expensive house wouldn't you say and it was being built for the glory of the lord to rest upon which he did rest upon in the ark of the covenant and the shekinah glory was there right but what's he saying you can't build a house to contain me that's impossible for you to do i'm not looking to live in a brick-and-mortar house, no matter how much gold, silver, and precious stones are in it. I'm looking for people who are humble and contrite. That means they have remorse for wrongdoing. They humble themselves before me. They have remorse for wrongdoing, and they tremble. Everybody say tremble. At what? My word. In other words, when you hear the word of the king, you better tremble. Because the power of life and death is right there. And so we talked about the trembler. He longs to hear God's word. Did you come to hear God's word this morning? Has a desire to believe God's word. Because even though you hear it, you see, because it goes beyond human reasoning, sometimes it's difficult for us to latch onto it and say, I'm exalting that above my reason. Imagine walking around Jericho's walls seven times. Once each day for six days, the seventh day, seven times in that one day... And you'll defeat your enemy. The walls will come down. Really? 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 What about Jehoshaphat? We're going to send out the praisers as the army. To come against three major armies coming against us. What sense does that make? It's illogical. It goes against human reasoning. But yet if you believe the word of the Lord and you tremble at his word, you will step out. You will do what he said to do. Because no matter who's against you, God is for you. Who can be against you and succeed? So he also intends to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. You didn't come just to hear something. You came to do something. Hear it, believe it, and do it. In other words, apply it to your life. Amen? And that's really what this ministry is all about. Not just coming to church to just get a a little quick fix and get filled up a little bit and just go off and do what you want to do. You came to really be transformed, to live your life, to honor and glorify the King of kings and Lord of lords. As we continue, look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Someone once says, you use an awful lot of scripture in your messages. Well, would you rather hear me or him? I'd rather hear him. That's why I like hearing me say what he says. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Look at this verse. Let the wor- I'm just going to read the first part. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell where? In us. Are you in Christ? Remember John 15, 7 said, if you abide in him and his word abides in you, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will, it shall be done unto you. Notice the second part. Are you in him? Are you abiding in him? Is his word abiding in you? So in other words, as the other prophets of old said, I'm taking this word, I'm devouring it. I want it to live in me, to become a part of me, to be a living epistle of the living Christ known and read of all men. I want to live this word in my life. So if we don't study the word, we won't know the word. How can the word live on the inside of us? So we should have an attitude toward the word of God that says this is a priority in my life. I need to know what God said on an everyday basis. So let the word of Christ dwell where? In us richly in all wisdom and so on. Why? Because if we don't allow the word to live in us, you know what happens? We can very easily become vulnerable to lies and deception very easily. Truth can be replaced by religious doctrines and human opinions and so on. Look at Mark's gospel chapter 7. It's not just for today. You go way back into the days of our Lord when he was walking upon the earth and look at what he said That these supposedly very religious people. Because of what they did and what they were doing was basically teaching the people they don't have to care for their elderly parents with the money that they have if they do it this way. And here's what Jesus said to them. You're making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such like things you do. You know what religious tradition does? It makes the word of God ineffective. And that was way back in the day when these leaders, Pharisees, scribes, Sanhedrin, and so on, were teaching things that were wrong. And so if we don't know what the Bible teaches and what it really says, what truth really is, then we can be deceived. Also, we can be deceived by views based on theory and also uh, human opinions. Where do you think Darwin's theory of evolution came from? Where did the Big Bang Theory come from? People are trying to find out why they're here, where they came from, and where they're going, and they're looking to these other means, intellectual means, physical means, to find out where they came from, why they're here, and where they're going. If you try to find those things out without going to the Word of God, you're trying to base your belief system then on human opinions and not on the Word of God. Truth is found in the Word of God. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, If you continue in my word, you're my disciple indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Notice, a believer may believe on Jesus, but a true disciple continues in the word of the Lord so we can know the truth, so that truth can deliver him or make him free from what? The opinions of men. Theories that others may hold. What's a theory? It's a supposition based on the ignorance of the subject under discussion. In other words, we don't know, so we theorize. It's a supposition. We don't really know. Well, how many of you know that when Jesus came to the earth, he came to tell us so we can know? He created the world, so he knows where it came from. Well, let's tell you what the Bible says. Where did we come from? Psalm 100 and verse 3 tells us, Know ye not that the Lord, he is God? It is he who made us and not we ourselves. Where did you come from? Him. Not from an ape. Not from an explosion. You came from Him. We are His creation. Why are we here? So we can prove to Him where we want to spend our eternal destination. Where are we going? That's dependent upon the choices and life decisions that we make here on the earth. Three things. Life, death, and eternity. Life is a period of time taken from eternity in which we are to determine our eternal destination. I was born in 1951 and there's a dash, but there's not another date after that dash. That dash represents my time on this earth in which I am to prove to the living God that I serve what I'm going to do with my free moral agency, the life choices I'm going to make and the decision I'm going to make as to whether or not I'm going to serve him. If you recall what the scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, I place before you life and death, blessing and cursing, good and evil, choose life. So we have a choice to make. So, life is a period of time taken from eternity in which we determine our eternal destination. But death is separation of spirit and soul from body, at which time it goes to one or two holding places, the present heaven or the present hell. That's what death is. Doesn't mean you cease to exist. It means this. Your spirit and soul go either to the present heaven and the present hell, and your body goes back to the dust of the earth, and it awaits what? It's going to be changed. When Jesus comes again, it's going to be glorified. The same body you're living in right now, whether it's ashes or in a grave somewhere, is going to come back, praise God, and God's going to put it back together, put your spirit and soul back into it. Eternity is where you spend your eternal living after you've been judged by God. So life, death, and eternity are three things taught in the Bible. We know where we came from. We know why we're here, and we know where we're going. To be honest with you, everything else in this life that's temporal doesn't mean a whole lot. You can achieve the highest goals as you live your life upon this earth, but I guarantee you it's all going to be fading with the using. Gone. Gone. Think about all the sports figures of old, all the politicians of old, and all the presidents of old and all that, and really just just a memory in your mind. But where does it lead them? So, God's Word is the only instruction book that we have, the Bible, to give us an understanding of life, death, and eternity, why we're here, where we're going, where we came from, and all that. So, it's up to us to look to the Bible to find out what it says, and I'll be honest with you, mm, my dander gets up when I think about preachers that don't preach the Word of God. Preach the Word, Timothy was told, in season, out of season, preach the Word of God, not your opinions, and not everyday life circumstances. Preach the word and teach the word of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. For us to attempt to find out these all important answers to these major questions that we have in life through natural means or things that are seen is futile, according to this verse of scripture. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Tell that to a biologist. Tell that to an astronomer. Things that are seen are not made by things that appear. It doesn't mean they're not things. They just don't appear. So if you're trying to find something out of a, uh, under a microscope that doesn't appear, you're going to come up with a theory. Are you following me? So to try to find out those answers to those questions based on things seen, it's futile. You can't do it. So you theorize have suppositions this world was created by things that are not seen and this world is upheld by things that are not seen so to try to find out these things based on things not seen impossible remember the verse over there in second corinthians 4 verses 4 16 through 18 just a lot of affliction which is but for a moment It's but for a moment that we're going through temporal life on this earth. It's but for a moment. Works for us a far more eternal weight of glory. While we look not at things that are seen, but things that are not seen. Because the things that are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. Our focus should then be on things that are not seen, which is really weird. How can I look at things that are not seen? Go to the Bible and find out what it says and meditate it. And God will give you a picture of things that are not seen. Because those things are eternal and not subject to change. But the things that are seen are temporal and they are subject to change. And so, to try to figure these things out with our minds, with our head, with our intelligence and all that is futile. And all you're going to do is get a theory. Look in Jeremiah. Powerful, powerful scriptures. Uh, Wait, before we go there, go to Hebrews. Let's put that one up first. Look at Hebrews first. It's sustained and maintained by the word of God's power. Look at this. God who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in times past of the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory their express image of his person up- upholding all things by the word of his power upholding all things by the word of his power. How are all things upheld? By the word of his power. When he had himself purged, our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So in other words, he who made the world upholds the world by the word of his power. So everything in existence came into existence by the word of God's power. Listen to this word. Hello. Did you see it? Can anybody see it? You heard it, but can you see it? Everything seen was made by the word Of God's power. So when God spoke and said let the earth bring forth trees that bud. What's the ultimate reality lying at the basis of that appearance of a tree? Where did it come from? What came first? The tree or the seed? God. The chicken or the egg? God. God spoke and it became. Behind every created thing that we see... It's also upheld by the word. It says in the book of Psalms that God spoke and gave a command and everything became and it came into being. So what is unseen behind it all is the word of God who made all things. This is a revelation of the living Christ, the living word of God. And so now we know how all things came into being and how all things are upheld. But look at Jeremiah chapter, it's not in your notes, chapter 5. These things just come at me once in a while, I just like to throw them out. Is that okay with you? Declare this in the house of Jacob and publish it in Judah, saying, Hear now, O this, hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will you not what tremble at my presence? Which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea. How? By a perpetual decree that it cannot pass it. And though the ways thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. Now that's a pretty powerful being who can speak a decree. You know, the word of a king is powerful. If, a, if the king says, take their life, they take their life. You understand that? When God Almighty spoke and said to the mighty waters of the ocean, you will not pass over the sand on the seashore, guess what? It doesn't. This world is comprised, the earth is, of over 70% water. And all God would have to do and say, Pass over, and that would be it. We'd all be gone. We'd be underwater. But by a perpetual decree that God made, the waters cannot pass over. And even though when a storm comes, hurricanes come and all that storms come, and it seems like that the ocean waters are prevailing over the sand, guess what? They gotta go back. They gotta go back. They gotta go back. That's what a storm is. You know, when you and I face and encounter storms in this life. It's just the same way, like a hurricane coming against us. As you said, a hurricane, just a storm coming against you. We should be as calm as the sea, as the sand along the seashore, realizing that you may be covering me right now, but I'm telling you, you've got to go back. 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 You can't say you've got to go back. Because my God gave a decree, and decree is his word, and his word cannot be overcome. It's ultimate authority and power. So when you find yourself in a storm, just start talking like that. Got to go back. Got to get out. Got to go back. You're violating the decree of Almighty God who's all-powerful. So he said, will you not fear me? We fear the Lord. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul talking about our Christian armor. He's talking about how we are equipped with the armor of... Whose armor is it? God. It's the armor of God. We are clad with the armor of God from head to toe. Amen. We've got on the armor of God. Well, the only offensive weapon in our arsenal is what the sword of the spirit which is the word of god i want you to see the godhead in the trinity in that one verse look at ephesians 6 17 and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit there's the spirit which is the word who's the word jesus is the word of god the father there's the godhead right there the sword of Of the Spirit is the Word of God. So think about that for a moment. The Holy Spirit, we know, works together with the Word to perform or to carry out the purposes of God in the earth. We see this in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. The first three verses we see revealed to us exactly, let's read them. How creation took place. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. "...and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said," or God spoke, what did he speak? The word, "...let there be light, and there was light." And as you read throughout that entire chapter, God said, and it was so. 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 But the Holy Ghost, who was hovering over the face of the deep, never did one thing until the word was spoken. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. So when you and I declare or decree the word of God in a life situation, the Spirit of the Lord, remember... Acts upon the word that's spoken. And brings into reality whatever it is that you are declaring or believing God for. So it's a sword of the spirit. is our offensive weapon to stand against the enemy that comes against us in this life. An example is found in Judges. In chapter 7, look at verses 19 through 20. This is a story of Gideon. And how he was to surround the Midianite camp. And overcome the Midianites on behalf of the Israelites. If you don't know the story, the Midianites had 135,000 soldiers. The Israelites had 32,000 soldiers. Big difference, wouldn't you say? Well, God said that's too many men to fight those 135,000. Let those that are afraid to go home to their wives, to their families, to their kids, and all that. And so 22,000 left the camp of the Israelites, which reduced to to 10,000. And the Lord said to Gideon, that's still too many. Reduce it again. Go have them drink at the water brook at the spring and all that. And he who who laps like a dog, let the one stay and the rest let them go home. Now there's 300 men to face 135,000 men. You know what that odds what the odds are? 450 to 1. Stand up if you're here and you think you could take on 450 men at one time. In your own strength. Anyone here think you can do that? Mm-mm. 450 to 1. What was God trying to show them? He's all-powerful. He's almighty. And if God be for you, who can be against you? So here's what happens. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him, there were three camps of a hundred that went around the Midianites, came into the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle of watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies of a hundred men, 300 men, blew the trumpets, notice this, and break the pitchers, and held the lamps, now notice this, in their left hand, and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, what did they cry? The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The sword of the Lord, let me ask you a question. If you're going out to battle like this and you're going to fight 135,000 men, you've got a pitcher in this hand and you've got a trumpet in that hand. And your sword's in the sheath. She. So what did they do? They broke the pitchers in the left hand. They blew the trumpet with the right hand. And by the time they could even get their sword out of the sheath thereof, what happened? They were all defeated, praise God, by the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The sword of the Lord is the the word of God, is it not? So when God speaks a word that becomes our sword, and if we'll just praise him and shout, break out, praise God, and shouting and thanking him for doing what he said he would do, he fights for you. He defends you. A miracle will take place. So what happened? They were all destroyed and defeated in Israelites 1. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Good place to put this verse of scripture. Look at what it says. For the word of God is quick, means alive. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow. It's a deserter of the in- thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is a powerful, powerful sword that we can use against our enemy. No wonder the enemy wants to do what? Distort our speech and make us speak wrong things because he knows he's defeated if we but speak the word of God. It's not your word, it's the word of God. And when God gives you a word, God gives me a word, you can bank on it, you can take it all the way to the bank. God's going to bring it to pass. All right, look at Psalm 107 verse 20. The previous verses say that men get themselves in trouble because of their own actions and behavior. But then they call upon the name of the Lord when they're in trouble. He sent his word and healed them. What healed them? He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Who is the word? Jesus. The sword of the spirit is what? The word of God. So what does the spirit use? the word of God. So when one speaks the word of God what happens? The spirit of God responds to that word spoken and accomplishes the purpose of God's will in that person's life. Now that being said God's word was sent to deliver 300 men from 135 thousand Midianites and when God says put the picture in your left hand and put the trumpet in your right hand blow the trumpet and break the picture and then shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon guess what? There's nothing that's going to happen other than God to manifest His power and His might to deliver God's people. But also, He sent His Word to heal them and deliver them from their destructions. So God's Word also has healing power and Jesus was the Word who's made flesh who died upon Calvary's cross to bear our sickness and carry our pain as well as our sin and and mental anguish. He did that for us. So He sent His Word to heal us and deliver us. It's up to us to get In our hearts and our mouths, the word of God, and proclaim it and declare it and decree it so that God can, by his Spirit, honor his word and make it good on our behalf. Look at the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. This is what the Lord says. Are you trembling now? Are we trembling yet? Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom like a Darwin like the all these that make their theories and and all that, all the intellectuals. Or the powerful boast in their power. You ever watch the strongman competition? These guys will walk around saying, Yeah, I can pull a train. I pulled an airplane so many feet with my teeth. Anybody want to go in for that one? That's okay. Don't boast in your strength, your power, or the rich boast in their riches. It doesn't matter how smart we are, how strong we are, or how wealthy we are. That's not what matters. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things I the Lord have spoken. Praise God Almighty. When you know God, you've got it made. When you know his strength, his power, his wisdom, like I said, his house cost almost a trillion dollars. And that wasn't good enough. He wants to live in you. He wants his word alive in you and in me. If anything, this should drive us to our knees to become astute students of the Word of God. Study to show yourself approved to God, the workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will, it shall be done unto you. Amen. All right. I want to conclude my message this morning by sharing with you a testimony that took place in 1980 when the church was downtown Midland. And it's something how this just came to us because after all these years, now the family's living in Tennessee. But this took place in 1980. And the young man, his name is Steve Yaney. And it says, Pastor Bill, this is my testimony. It's written down because my parents attended some meetings in Tennessee held by a a pastor, Ron Cohen, I believe is his name, a Rama graduate. And he asked for a copy. This story has been Told countless times by me and my parents, probably even more. God has been given all the glory and all the praise and honor, obviously, each time. Thank you for your prayers so many years ago. I appreciate it. And also for your consideration, I will soon be 49. He was 10. I'll be 49 years old. I have very rarely been sick since 1980. And I was a sickly boy. Mom believes it's a long-lasting touch of God's healing hand, and I have no reason to doubt it. Steve Yaney. And this is his testimony. Excuse me. i got to play Superman here. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for it? Testimony of Steve Yaney's healing in 1980. And I want you to see how it ties in together here. On January 30th, 1980... Our 10-year-old son, Steve, came home from school with flu-like symptoms. As the day went on and into the evening, other symptoms began to manifest that were not like the flu. My husband, Marty, left to work the night shift at his refinery. I was left to tend to my son and the opportunity to put my faith on the line. As fairly new Christians, we've been attending Christian Assembly Church in Midland, Pennsylvania, which is now located in Industry. Pastor Bill Anzavina, who is still pastoring that church today, was a graduate of Rhema Bible Training Center, was teaching the word of faith message, including healing. This was our first encounter with this kind of message, but we readily accepted it and began studying it, not knowing we would soon have the opportunity to test its validity within our own family. I knew somewhere inside me that something was really wrong with our son. I got my Bible and began to walk the floor, praying and confessing the word, just as I learned it. Fear rose up and threatened to overwhelm me. Pictures of my son in a coffin at his funeral service would come and I would reject them. Besides the Bible, I had one of Kenneth Hagin's books, What to Do When Faith Seems Weak and Victory Lost, and I began to read it. It was a great source of help. During the night hours, red blotches began to appear all over Steve's body, and toward morning his neck had become rigid and he was unable to move or turn it. About the time my husband came home in the morning, Steve had become delirious and was even unable to tell tell us his name. At that point, we phoned our pediatrician and he instructed us to come to his office right away. Following a brief assessment, Dr. Tersley told us he suspected a diagnosis of spinal meningitis and that it had fairly high mortality rate. At his instructions, we rushed Steve to the nearby hospital where they admitted him. We had phoned a friend, called Pastor Anzavino, who agreed to come to the hospital to be with us and pray for Steve's recovery. I left briefly to take our six-year-old daughter to a babysitter and continue to confess and speak the word over my son. On my return to the hospital, I was driving down the road. I heard the voice of the Lord speak loudly in my spirit that our son was going to be raised up. And I want to emphasize that. I heard the voice of the Lord speak loudly that our son is going to be raised up. It was so powerful, I still remember the exact place I was On the road when he spoke, I began to weep and to thank and praise him. When I returned to the hospital, my husband informed me that uh, that the test that they had run confirmed the diagnosis of the pediatrician, spinal meningitis. They were alarmed that tests also showed the bacteria of this disease had spread to his brain. They began to administer three types of antibiotics simultaneously as there wasn't time to test to see which strain of bacteria it was. Steve's condition had now become critical. He was hallucinating, seeing bugs, etc. On the walls, he no longer even recognized us. Pastor Anzavino arrived and prayed with us and encouraged us with the word. His coming meant so much to us. Approximately 2 a.m., Steve sat straight up in the bed and asked, Mom, where am I? Those were the most beautiful words I'd ever heard. He was not delirious. He recognized me, carried on a regular conversation. He could move his neck. Praise God, the doctors had warned us. If he survived this there would be most likely consequences would be such as loss of hearing, memory loss, inability to father children. His recovery was rapid because because at that time doctors felt the spinal meningitis was contagious. He had to remain in the hospital for several days till they felt he could no longer pass it to someone else. The doctors were amazed at his recovery and we rejoiced greatly at what the Lord had done. A week after his discharge, we returned to the pediatrician for a checkup. There we found that, out that Steve should have been on prescriptions for antibiotics to take at home. For some reason, we never received any, and the doctor was furious that the hospital neglected to do that. We just rejoiced that Steve didn't need the antibiotics because God had healed him. Today, our son is a healthy 48-year-old biological father of three children, uh, three beautiful daughters, and has an adopted daughter as well that he has raised from birth. The only side effect he received as a result of the illness was some loss of memory, but none of the other effects the doctors warned us have ever materialized. We praise God and give Him all the glory for His great compassion and mercy shown to our family. We are thankful for God uh, for what we learned concerning His Word, and we're able to trust and we able to trust it, stand on it, and believe God for the outcome—a good outcome. As Steve parents, we testify that this testimony is true and indeed uh, take place just took place just as we have stated. To God be all the glory. Martin, and Connie Yaney. You have to understand that was 39 years ago in 1980. I came in 1979. And all this is all about what they did to to believe the word that was spoken. Has nothing to do with me whatsoever. Other than just being there and teaching the word. And also just going there and praying with them. But the point is she got a hold of... Of the word of faith, she got a hold of the message. you know when you're there in a hospital room and your child is dying in a comatose state and, and, and ready just to pass, and they have when, when, we were, when I got there, they really did, they gave him the hope. did not expect him to make it through the night. Exactly what the doctors told me he won 't make it through the night. I'll never forget it. but when the miracle is when that mother started to confess the word of God God you said this is what you said this is what you said your word is all powerful your word is almighty she was given the Holy Ghost something to work with the sword of the spirit is the word of God when the word was proclaimed the spirit of God began to move and when he began to move praise God his body began to respond thank God that it did and as a result this boy was raised up you see she heard it she believed it And she intended to act upon it. And God did his part. To bring the miracle to pass. And this is what... Is the word of God important? Ask Marty and Connie If the word of God is important. Because of the word of God that was spoken. And that they were taught and what they learned. Their son is alive. I would say that's pretty important. Wouldn't you? This wasn't a happenstance miracle. This was someone that took God at his word... Believed it, acted upon it, and watched God work a miracle as He raised Him up from His bed of languishing. I cannot emphasize to you, I can never overemphasize it. The word of faith is a message that's been distorted by so many people. So many misunderstand it because they take a part of it and they run with it. They teach it wrong, they represent it wrong, and as a result, the devil wreaks havoc with people's lives. But I want you to know something it is a reality. I want you to know that God's word is all powerful just as he said it is. It's up to us to embrace it. It's up to us to grab a hold of it. It's up to us to be serious about it. Put it in our hearts and put it in our mouths and be transformed by it. And watch God work. Amen. And I can share with you so many testimonies, but it's not about that. It's about the power in God's word. That's what it's about and when you say it the spirit of God goes to work that's how you got saved the word was in your mouth and in your heart the word of faith that we preach if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved with the heart man believes to righteousness with his mouth he's confessing to salvation whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved saved, healed, delivered, preserved, set free made whole, provided for, cared for protected divinely by the hand of Almighty God what you believe in in your heart and come out of your mouth when it lines up with the word of God God will bring it to pass just as He said He would you want to know the secret place of the Most High appreciate your participation he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty well what is it Lord I will say of the Lord, I will say of the Lord. Everybody say, I will say. I will, say, there's the secret place right there. I say to the Lord, He's my refuge, my fortress, my God. In Him I trust. Surely He delivers me from the snare of the fowler, from the noise of pests. He covers me with His fenders. Under His wings I trust. His truth is my shield and buckler. I'm not afraid of the terror by night, or the arrow that flies by day, or the pestilence that walks in darkness, or the destruction that wakes at noonday. A thousand will fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand. It will not come nigh me, only with my eyes I'll behold and see the reward of the wicked. I'm made the Lord God my refuge the most high in my habitation no evil shall befall me no plague come not my dwelling his angels have charge over me to keep me in all my ways they bear me up in their hands lest I dash my foot against a stone I tread upon the lion and adder the lion and dragon I trouble beneath my feet and because I set my love upon him he delivers me he sets me on high because I know his name when I call upon him he answers me he's with me in trouble he delivers me and honors me with long life he satisfies me and shows me his great salvation That's a secret place of the most high. Hallelujah. Oh, let's all stand together.